Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Replay. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We are very excited to talk to you about Christmas and about some of our favorite Christmas music. We've picked out a few things that we like to listen to every year to get us into the holiday spirit. And so we thought we would share those with you. Shama, how are you feeling about Christmas this year? I am feeling very mixed about Christmas this year. I think that it will be not as isolated maybe as last year, but it's going to be a lot more isolated than um, I had expected to be just a few weeks ago. But, you know, I do have some family visiting and I think it, it will there will be joy uh, despite you know, everything else that's going on. Do you have traditions for Christmas? I do. I have traditions of things that I watch. And so, you know, I always watch Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, more modern films that I always watch um, are the Trailer Park Boys Christmas special. I watch Her- a very Harold and Kumar Christmas just to get some silliness in. Um, but, you know, but Muppets is the one that's kind of without fail every year. But to me, Christmas, since I was a kid, has always been about music. So I'm really excited to talk about um, three three things. We got three things each, three songs each. Uh, you know, we could go on and on. So Christmas can be exclusionary or it can kind of signify Christian hegemony or colonialism that we have this, you know, Christian holiday imposed on us. But, um, you know, here at Replay, uh, it's more that Christmas signifies so many different things and has kind of transitioned uh, into a secular holiday, this sort of end of the year, um, as it has been since time immemorial. It's the winter solstice. It is that time between semesters if you're a student or, you know, if you teach like me um, and just marking the calendar year where you get a little bit of break and reflection. And, um, you know, Christmas is the is the holiday that kind of, you know, colors the season, colors the season red and green and gold and, you know, all, all of that. So I love Christmas. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I, I like I like it well enough i guess i being raised christian i do kind of feel like christmas is a part of culture as well as a part of kind of like religious life and religious upbringing it's 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 both of those things for me and obviously as you say it has its secular side but i don't even necessarily separate the two as much i kind of associate them with one another so we will you know when we're actually allowed to gather, we often will go to church, but we also put up a Christmas tree and do all of that pagan good stuff and give presents. And, you know, my mom really gets into the holidays and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a thing for us my whole life. So I kind of, I kind of link the two together, but I think, you know, understanding why Chris, why Christmas is like a thing is central to culture whether you are christian or not it's kind of hard to understand and and i mean for people who are not part of this culture what is the big deal about christmas anyway why do we do all of this stuff why do we have presents why do we give gifts like where does it all come from you don't have to be christian to understand all of those things but it is a really big part of like western modern culture at the same time so i kind of i kind of blend the two together i have celebrations that incorporate both things 
I really, really like the time between Christmas and New Year's when it's kind of quiet and the phone doesn't ring so much and emails don't get sent and people kind of chill out for a little bit. So I'm feeling you on that one as well. Yeah, I, I'm feeling you on the melding of it as well because Christmas for me has very much been about music and um, the music, you know, the best Christmas music to my mind is not the secular Christmas music, is the sacred Christmas music. And the last uh, Christmas before the pandemic, I went to mass at the um, National Cathedral in DC. I was visiting my sister and her husband and my you know, beloved Fritz Lashak hat had just passed away like a couple of weeks before. And so mm. there's very much about the Christ story that to me is very is powerful. I'm going to talk about that, that a bit with the songs, but um, just this idea that you know I was ve- I was very deep in grief, and all around me was this story that the way to like experience life and be human truly has to have death too. That like God could not in in its you know its finitude could not um, understand. Uh, what what it would be like to have like a meaningful life until dying, um, being like flesh and dying. And so it was very like powerful to kind of hear something like that. I don't, you know, believe in it in any kind of literal sense. I think that stories are extremely powerful. But again, yeah, we'll we'll get into some of this some of this with the with the songs. Why don't you begin? Because I know you have three songs that have different significances and meanings for you. So why don't you tell us what the first one that you want to get into is? Yeah, so the first one I wanted to talk about was a pop song. So there have been, you know, some Christmas albums from like pop musicians that I've liked. Probably the one I've listened to the most was the first Sarah McLachlan one, but I don't have very much to to say about it. It's just kind of (laughs) can-con. You know, Sarah McLachlan has a great voice. The arrangements are kind of uh, not not traditional, Uh, but the one I've chosen is actually quite a traditional song from a pop musician, and that's Celine Dion's version of Oh Holy Night. is one of my favorite carols. Um, I love how it builds. You know, everyone loves a six-eight time signature because uh, it, you know, it's just kind of flows. There's that d- dynamic of you know piano and forte of so- of kind of soft um, and loud. And I think that this song really earns its high notes. And it's interesting to think about Céline Dion because you know this. Well, you know, I wouldn't say this is necessarily CanCon like pe- people in Quebec don't necessarily consider themselves Canadian. Um, but, you know, I lived in Quebec for a long time. Celine Dion is a national hero there. But she's often denigrated for over-singing or for being kind of like kitschy mass culture. So journalist Carl Wilson wrote a book on Celine Dion subtitled A Journey to the End of Taste. Uh, so why is like Why is Celine Dion, like it's such bad taste to like Celine Dion. But... You know, part of it, he goes, he uses some like Pierre Bourdieu's like distinction stuff. Um, but 
you know, it's a lot of talking to people. Why do they like her? And kind of learning like, oh, actually, you know, her songs might be lowbrow mass culture, uh, but they make people feel real feelings. And I feel real feelings when I listen to Celine sing Oh Holy Night. It's like a perfect version of this. It's not the only version you could sing, but I love it. The things that she's accused of, like over singing, are, are not present there. She uses embellishment where it's necessary. She really belts when it's needed. She brings it down to a whisper. And she brings so much feeling into this song that you can see that she really believes it or hear that she believes it. Um, you know, she believes it as a Catholic and the power of the Christ story, but also like believing in the power of music itself and her own instrument, you know, her, her voice. So I love Celine. I will always love her for her post-Katrina interview with that horrible Larry King uh, where she showed real frustration at the coverage of people looting, quote unquote, looting. And she said, let them touch those things. And who cares if people are stealing? But, you know, Céline is, a, she's a girl from Charlemagne, Quebec. She has known poverty. Like, she's very wealthy now, obviously. But she's known real poverty. And, you know, she also, on Larry King, said, how come it's so easy to send planes to another country to kill everyone in a second to destroy lives? So Céline with the anti-imperialist analysis. <laughs> I mean, I think that Céline's Oh Holy Night, take a listen. There's some parts where she uses ornamentation and it's like really perfect um, where she does. It's not, you know, all of the accusations of Céline are, I think, not there in her version of, of Oh Holy Night. Well, you know, we're always going to have the purists and and I mean, we are no two people to criticize because we have we have a lot of criticisms and critiques ourselves uh, on on all kinds of things, art and culture. But I just would invite anybody who thinks that Celine is overrated to go to karaoke and listen to people singing along when any time, you know, it's all coming back to me now comes up and somebody decides that that's going to be their karaoke song. I mean, I'm a 90s kid, and so you just, just just watch the reactions of how people feel when that song comes on. Like, whatever you want to say about Celine Dion, she absolutely does, as you say, make people feel feelings. I can relate. I do think that she is not just a Canadian icon, but that she's kind of become so much more than that around the world. I think that she's exactly in the spirit of that kind of diva tradition of people like Whitney and Mariah, exactly who should be making Christmas albums. And if she wants to embellish and, you know, belt the way that only she can do, then like, go for it. I don't, I don't, it's, it's, it's Christmas. It's about decadence. It's about extravagance. It's about wonder. <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally here for it. Yeah. I mean, I love it's all coming back to me now. So once the, the airborne plague has uh, dissipated, we'll go to karaoke and I would love to do that song. There you go. And by the way, the decadence and extravagance part is definitely the secular me talking about Christmas. Cause I know that the Christian Christmas part of things is not supposed to be about decadence, but this is where we get the blending of the two in some kind of unholy or holy alliance, depending on how you feel. If I can go, I think I would like to meet your CanCon <laughs> with a little bit of my own. I wanted to talk first about a Christmas hymn called Huron Carol.
Kieran Carroll is really, really interesting uh, because it is the kind of CanCon that actually predates Canada. And um, as far as we know, or at least uh, the way that it is attributed, the Huron Carol, uh, which has been called Canada's oldest Christmas song, was written around 1642. And it is attributed to Jean de Brebeuf, who was a Jesuit uh, missionary who came from France to, you know, try and civilize and convert indigenous peoples to Catholicism uh, in what was then New France, what is now Quebec. And um, as part of that process, Brebeuf, who was a really big linguist and who um, was interested in learning the Huron-Wendat language so that he could communicate with people for the purpose of converting them, he is said to have penned this song. And the idea was to kind of familiarize the uh, Huron-Wendat people that he was living amongst and trying to convert with notions of Catholicism so that they would kind of take it into their own culture and understand it through their own ways and be more willing to convert. And so the original words of Huron Carol, even though I know it through the English version, was actually written in um, the Wendat language, which is fascinating because uh, Brebeuf uh, studied it intensely. One of the big things about being a Jesuit uh, missionary was the ability to master language so that you could go to places like New France or what is now Ontario and you could make contact with people, learn their language, and then, of course, begin the process of assimilation. Um, and so the original for this was written in Wendat, but then translated much later on in the 1920s into English. Jean de Brebeuf himself has like a really, really interesting story, because as I said, he was very interested in languages and was quite successful in learning many different languages of indigenous peoples in what is now Ontario and Quebec. And it took a long time for him to be able to start trying to convert people because without language, that was like a really hard thing to do. But he worked on it for many years and then slowly started to have some success. Uh, but actually what ultimately happened was that he established a mission in a Huron village and the Haudenosaunee didn't really take kindly to that. So they actually came and captured and destroyed the entire mission, took all of the missionaries who were there from France, including Jean de Brebeuf, tortured them and killed them. The story goes that they actually ate his organs and uh, in a kind of mock version of baptism, dumped boiling water over his head. He didn't have the greatest ending. Not not so much of a Christian, Christmas story as I think we might think about them. But there is something about this hymn and the melody of it, which 
was apparently borrowed from an old French song, which I find really haunting and at the same time reverent and which conjures up a lot of those emotions of the more Christian side of me in terms of how we think about the holidays. My mom went out and bought this Christmas album one year and brought it home on CD called A Noteworthy Christmas. Great Canadian choirs sing holiday favorites, and there's a lot of bangers on there. But the Huron Carol version of that hymn uh, is the one that I've kind of, you know, come to listen to and come to associate whenever I think about the song. So there is a group called the Exultate Chamber Singers who recorded a version of Huron Carol on that album in the 90s. And I absolutely treasure it. I listen to that album and that song many times over the Christmas season every year. So that's my little CanCon in terms of Christmas music. Yeah, I remember you sending me that album last year and uh, listening to it. So I'm going to listen to it um, again this year. Uh, What an interesting story. And that's some real CanCon. That's some settler colonial CanCon, so it's like it's like uh, pre CanCon CanCon. Yeah, it's pre pre Can CanCon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So my exam my next example is one that is uh, pretty religious, um, and it got me kind of thinking about you know my family is not Christian they're Muslim, uh, I do not practice, but there are kind of cultural things around Islam like. You know, just the the sort of way of speaking, like you say, like inshallah or whatever, right? Um, so there there's that kind of part of it that that I is still there with me, I guess, uh, or goes in and out. But what's interesting is that Christmas was never completely secular for us, and I know that I have to be really careful here. This is my family. It's not hashtag not all Muslims. Um, I think that part of it probably in moving to North America where Christmas is really big, but the Christmas story is part of Islam too, uh, in, a, in a kind of different way, uh, slightly different way. Um, so my example, uh, my second my second song is the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles uh, version of the Carol Gabriel's message uh, from the Advent at Ephesus album. Gabriel's Message is a really beautiful Christmas song, and it's one of my favorites. And I love these singing nuns who 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 do this version. Um, and singing is a part of their worship. They recorded this album at Ephesus. So my personal story around this is I went to Ephesus when I was 13 with my family, and it's this really like beautiful and well-preserved ancient Greek ruin. It was a really important port city in ancient times. Uh, but apart from you know that the kind of ancient Greek ruins there. Uh, There is also um, the House of Mary that is said to be where John the Apostle took Mary to live out the rest of her, you know, earthly days. So Mary is is somebody that's important um, in Islam. You know, you probably know a Muslim named Maryam. Like, it's such a common name. Mm -hmm. 
the story in Islam is somewhat similar, but Jesus, or like as we call him, Isa, is a prophet, not the literal son of God. Um, Gabriel or Jibril visits Maryam with Jibril's message. Actually, Jibril also went to the, the prophet Muhammad um, with the revelation of the Quran. So, you know, there are these ways that these two different, you know, very different in lots of ways, like faith traditions actually have a lot of overlap. I think most people know that. Um, but, you know, when we talk about something like Christmas, if you have, you know, a tradition of kind of syncretism, I think a lot of um, Muslims from South Asia do have a have a history of kind of syncretism because there would be like Hindus and Muslims and Christians um, and, you know, various Zoroastrians, various other religions, Sikhs living together. Um, of course, there's sectarian conflict out of the scope of this episode. But on this really local level, you know, my parents would tell me about like growing up with like friends of all kinds of different faiths and you just kind of respected all of them and everyone kind of did things together. Um, so coming to Canada, then Christmas became this this important uh, holiday for us. Like we always had a tree. Um, but yeah, my parents took me to to the House of Mary at Ephesus, me and my sister. And I remember feeling like it was a sacred space. But, you know, I guess, you know, as a person who does not practice religion um, or really like believe in it in a literal way, um, I guess now I believe more that what's real, um, that real feeling you get in those spaces is that we can kind of collectively make spaces sacred um, rather than that they are inherently but I think this is also my orientation to music as well. I mean, I think music is, is cheesy, cheesy, but I think it is like sacred and sublime, even without a literal belief um, in the like content of the music and the literal narratives um, of, of the music. So, and I, I mean, stories are powerful as well. So yeah, this vision, uh, this version of Gabriel's message is one of my favorites because the nuns, sing as part of their worship, like music is such a big part of their worship. Um, and it's from their Ephesus album. And of course, when if you listen to it, it has really beautiful singing and arrangements of, of harmony. So yeah. What is it about, because I think this is a theme of this episode, but like, what is it about music as reverence to the divine that gets us all so much, or I mean, gets many of us so much, do you think? Because I mean, a lot of my own feelings about this have to do with music that I listened to in church and um, music that I grew up understanding was about reverence to the divine. Like, what, what, what do you think that that's about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I kind of uh, stopped believing in God pretty young and was also trained in like classical music. So I play piano and I remember being younger and just getting into a trance, like playing and it's there, there's something about taking you out of your head. It's like meditative in a way because your hands are sometimes moving faster than your brain is. And at the same time, you're a story, but you're not consciously thinking like, I mean, sometimes you are consciously thinking during practice or whatever that I need to like phrase this, you know, melody this way or whatever. But ultimately it just becomes this kind of like, overflow of, you know, um, your muscle memory and whatever you're kind of feeling when you, when you play the music. And so, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's that we are always thinking in language 
And maybe this allows us to like think in a different kind of symbolic system. So it takes us out of our heads in some ways. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, this is also like a really, really big question, but I do think that maybe my like simple, not simple answer, but my immediate answer is something about like thinking in a different kind of symbolic system than the language that we are usually um, thinking in and also that it's like bodily as well. I like that. So for my second choice, I am going to take us like into the heart of my childhood. There were a number of like popular Christmas albums that my parents bought for us. Some of them were on vinyl um, and then later on like cassette tape. I would just listen to these over and over and over again during the holidays and memorize them to the point as a child where now when I listen to them, they just have this different kind of resonance and nostalgia, really, for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of an album by John Denver and the Muppets called A Christmas Together. And specifically the track on that album, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by John Denver and Rolf the Dog. I did a little bit of research because I actually didn't know this, but um, Jim Henson, uh, of course, the creator of The Muppets, uh, actually created this character of Rolf the Dog in 1962 for a, a Purina dog chow set of commercials. Those ads actually started running in Canada in the early 1960s. And then this character of this dog, who was originally made as a puppet to sell dog food, became like a recurring character for um, for Jim Henson. And he would, you know, uh, come up on certain TV shows. And then when The Muppet Show came along in the late 70s, Rolf was a main fixture in that. And, of course, all of the great movies that came later, The Muppet Movie, Muppets Take Manhattan. You and I both love Muppet Christmas Carol. You've mentioned it already. And I had, I feel like, this psychic connection to Rolf because he was a piano player. And as a child growing up, I started playing the piano from a very young age. And so seeing this little cute dog character singing and playing the piano for me was always, like, really captivating. This album a christmas together with john denver i i mean i probably i must have played that tape I'm, I'm surprised that it even still kept working after so many years of me playing this it was recorded in uh the 1970s in 1979 you know john denver just collaborating with all of these muppet characters i didn't know who that was at the time, I didn't know John Denver as a recording artist, you know, a platinum record seller outside of the Muppets. I thought I thought that, that for me as a kid, like that, that was his identity is that he that's the guy that sings with the Muppets on television and on records. It is just such a wonderful collaboration. You feel when you listen to John Denver on this album, that same kind of reverence um, and awe that we've been talking about, because the, the album, although doing a lot of like secular tunes also has a very religious 
character and quality to it and talks explicitly about the divine in a couple of the um, songs. This duet, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, alternates back and forth between John Denver and Rolf while the dog plays the piano. And it's tender and it's sentimental and it's in a kind of jazz style, which again, I started loving from the time I was a child. And it's like, now I think of myself at this age, like what was the inspiration for me to have, for example, the musical tastes that I do and to love jazz so much. And it was really things like Jim Henson creating these Muppet characters and allowing children to explore all kinds of ideas and culture and style through these puppets. And, you know, I grew up watching uh, Muppet Babies and all kinds of different incarnations of this series. And so this album with John Denver and the Muppets is extremely special. I recommend the entire thing. But there's just something about Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas with Rolf and Jim John Denver that just has my heart. So that's that's my number two. Yeah, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is such a beautiful song. Um, that's from Meet Me in St. Louis, right? I have not seen that movie, but that song kind of exceeds where it came from. Definitely. Okay, my third is, well, I adore Sufjan Stevens. I always listen to his Christmas albums this time of year, so it was hard to choose one Sufjan Stevens song. But I, uh, you know, it's very cold where I am right now. We're all kind of scared of COVID and Omicron. Uh, so I chose Sister Winter. Oh, my thoughts, I return to summertime. When I kissed your ankle, I kissed you through the night. Oh. Um, so I think that this is a song that re reflects what maybe a lot of us feel right now. It's kind of a sad Christmas song. It's about the sadness that comes at Christmas. Or, you know, it, it's ambiguous enough. It could be about depression. Um, but, you know, Christmas is not always this really joyful time. And I think acknowledging that it is not always uh, just, you know, eating cookies and being with everybody you love, because sometimes... You know, you're, you're estranged from your family for whatever reason, or you are experiencing depression. Um, and then Christmas, this like imperative to feel happy uh, can, can be really oppressive. Uh, so in this song, you know, he says his um, heart is as cold as, as ice. Um, his heart has returned to Sister Winter. Uh, and so it is about sadness, but it also kind of ends like with this sort of joyful, like the music gets very joyful. And he says he apologizes to his friends. Um, and then the music turns joyful and there are drums and horns. And he says he's returned uh, to wish them a Merry Christmas, to wish all his friends a Merry Christmas. Uh, so you know, the, the last kind of chorus, all my friends, I've returned to Sister Winter. I apologize. I apologize. Um, and then it's, or sorry, that's, that's before the end. And then at the very end, he says, I've returned to wish you all the best. And my friends, I've returned to wish you all the best. I've returned to wish you a happy Christmas. And, you know, it, like, I love music and food at Christmas, but I prefer, you know, to share music and food with people. So for me, like friendship, 
not just at Christmas in general, friendship is the most important, you know, part of my life and pandemic Christmases have been really hard because I have not been able to have, you know, often I'll have like a big Christmas party when, um, Fritz was alive. My beloved cat, I mentioned, uh, he would be Santa Fritz, like in the middle of the living room. And we would go gather around the piano. Like I would play piano and we would sing carols together. I would sometimes have like, you know, 20 people in my apartment. Um, and so just this song that it does that sadness, but it also ends with, you know, that sort of collective happiness. The, the drums and horns are, are really, uh, are really joyful. Um, yeah, I think it, it captures something about Christmas and maybe about this Christmas that we're experiencing right now that we're kind of hoping for that return we're hoping that there can be a return. Um, yeah, so go listen to, to there's lots of Sufjan Stevens. I, I also like Christmas in the Room. Um, it's kind of a more romantic song, but I chose Sister Winter uh, you know, for this particular time that we're living in. And it's a very beautiful song, of course. Sufjan Stevens writes beautiful music. Thank you for sharing that. So my final pick is maybe really mainstream, anticipated, kind of something that so many people like. So I'm going to go deep into normie culture here, but it's okay because I just don't think you can really beat the Vince Guaraldi trio who made the very, very famous Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack in the 1960s when that show was extremely popular. Well, when I say show, the the, the Peanuts... Um, the Peanuts franchise and the, the Peanuts cartoons in general uh, with Charlie Brown and, and, and Snoopy and, and uh, the gang was just a really big deal for children. Lucy and Linus and Pigpen were all kind of characters that people loved. And the Charlie Brown Christmas special is one that still plays, of course, on TV every year, along with things like, you know, the claymation versions of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and others um so i used to see that on tv growing up and i think maybe somewhere in the background of watching that a couple of times because i to be honest with you I, I really liked a whole bunch of other christmas specials a lot more than peanuts but got reintroduced to the music again i think in my like late teens early 20s just listening to it on its own and being like wow this is incredibly magical every time it snows for the first time in the winter my ideal is i hope that i'll be at home and i hope that i'll be a near a window somewhere so that i can put on a charlie brown christmas with the vince guaraldi trio and just kind of watch the snow falling outside and i had to pick the track skating for my pick from this album of the many tracks that i could pick because i just think it's wonderful there's something about the music in this soundtrack which of course is meant to go along with the special and meant to go along with what action you're seeing on screen as you're watching 
that is just so appropriate and lighthearted in many ways. Uh, again, also has these little touches of reverence and awe, which you might associate with the season. But um, Skating in particular is a song, when I listen to it, that reminds me of the feeling of snowflakes falling down to the ground. And you picture yourself being in this outdoor scene where people are gliding by on their ice skates. It's very fantastical and conjures up, I think, maybe the more kind of surreal, magical, fantasy-filled parts of what we associate more secularly with the Christmas season. You know, um, the magic of Santa coming down the chimney or uh, these, these presents appearing in your stocking or under the tree or reindeers tap dancing on the roof. And the children who are part of the recording just give it this really, really home style, down to earth kind of feel. I looked into it and I didn't know this, but they recorded this album in 1965 and the sessions would run very late into the evening. And so because you have these kids who are supposed to be singing on these tracks, that means that the kids have to stay late into the evening as well. And some of the parents of these kids were so angry at how late that these sessions were going that they didn't let their kids come back. And so they had to kind of find new children to replace the ones that were not allowed to come back because they were forced to stay out so late at night. Uh, I also read that the kids were paid $5 for their participation in recording the album, which I suppose would have been a lot of money in 1965, but probably still not enough for all of the heartache that all of those parents had to go through and those long nights with exhausted children. But, you know, unlike, you know, something like, um, you know, Mozart's Alleluia sung by... Uh, children's choir which is also on that noteworthy christmas album that i mentioned before which is just like impeccable technical church singing from a like a, a, a almost professional sounding children's choir charlie brown christmas isn't like that it sounds like normal kids like singing carols in a classroom like i would have learned when we were growing up it's not always in tune not everybody is always singing perfectly in unison and it doesn't matter. It almost makes it all the more um, lovable and gives me all the feels. So I, again, you've got to listen to the entire Vince Guaraldi Trio Christmas album from Chris, from Charlie Brown. Uh, but skating would be my pick. Maybe it's also got something to do with the fact that I've been kind of getting back on figure skates uh, or at least just on ice skates. I cannot figure skate i'm not gonna mislead anybody listening to this podcast <clears throat> but i did start learning how to skate as a kid and then i took about a 30 year hiatus after falling down really badly and needing stitches on one of my hands um to break my fall uh, so i stopped skating for a really long time but i have gotten back into it again and so now when i go out onto the ice i can imagine that i am in a Charlie Brown cartoon, and I can hear that music. Yeah, I used to skate a lot as a kid, and I haven't in so many years that, you know, when I move to Toronto, I'm going to get some new skates, and 
find some Toronto place to, to skate or you can show me where to go. I love the music of Charlie Brown Christmas. I used to play some of that on piano. I have the sheet music here, so I could get off this uh, podcast recording and go go play it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, Christmas special in that a lot of them, like Rudolph, tend to be quite secular and Charlie Brown Christmas is explicitly religious, especially like kind of right at the very end. And so I think it's, you know, there, it's a bit different in, in that sense because there's like Snowman or sorry, sorry, Frosty and Rudolph and some of the other ones or It's a Wonderful Life is, is not secular and that there is an angel, but it's not about like Jesus. Yeah, lots to talk about with with Christmas and what a what a kind of complicated holiday really for the place that it holds in culture and the entanglement of, you know, sacred and secular and the story itself, you know, is very interesting. There, you know, of course like feminist readings that yeah, like even when she gives birth she still has to be a virgin or, you know, accept your suffering. Um, because that's your lot in life and like, don't fight suffering because suffering is glorious. There's all of that. Of course, those, those critics critiques of, of the Christmas story. But, um, you know, I think that there's, there's, it's open enough that there are lots of different things that one could take from it. So for our mutual aid this week, I wanted to encourage people to donate to a legal fund for six young activists in Hamilton, Ontario, who have been arrested recently by the Hamilton police and who are facing a number of charges now and need support with their legal fees. We've talked before on Replay about the pandemic, the ongoing reality of COVID-19, and how different people in their communities are reaching out in different ways to support people. Um, And in this case, the Hamilton Encampment Support Network has been doing that work with people who uh, don't have a permanent home in the city of Hamilton and who have been sleeping outdoors in parks and in other places. Now, if you're wondering how that kind of outreach could lead to arrest, let me explain. Hamilton Encampment Support Network has been since uh, you know last last December conducting outreach in Hamilton's parks for people who have been sleeping in those parks, giving out food, water, sleeping bags, tents, harm reduction supplies, helping people make referrals, doing whatever they can basically to support people who are sleeping outdoors to make life just a little bit more comfortable and livable. Obviously, they believe and we believe on this podcast that it's up to, you know, local municipalities to make sure that people have a safe place to live. But because so many of our cities and regions are failing during the COVID-19 pandemic to make sure that people have safe housing, we're seeing more people basically all across the country sleeping out on our streets. And that's no different in Hamilton. And so members of Hamilton and Cameron Support Network have been witness to police in Hamilton coming through into these parks and public spaces 
and trying to force people out of these public spaces. The city of Hamilton, like many other municipalities, has no solution that it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't want to spend money and resources to house people. And so it decides instead to spend money and resources to criminalize people and to push them out of sight so that nobody can see the homeless problem that these cities are creating. And so it's under that uh, context that six members of the Hamilton Encampment Support Network were arrested at the end of November. Five of these six young people are black. All of them have been doing this work for over a year, been facing off against police officers who want to criminalize their supports for people who don't have housing. Um, one of the police officers who was involved in arresting one of the uh, young support workers put his knee on her neck. And I don't think I need to say any more about the significance of that. Uh, but these were incredibly violent arrests. I don't know what kind of police action is not violent. But as a result, these young people are now facing criminal charges for making sure that they did whatever they could to support people who were sleeping outside. It's an incredibly callous and disgusting situation, but these are people that I've personally worked with who I love and who I continue to support, and I want us all to show up for them. We've got a GoFundMe link that we will be posting on the show page. And if you have a little bit of money over the holiday season, I would really appreciate it if you pitched some to the Hamilton and Cameron Support Network's legal fund so that these six young people who have been doing what our political leaders won't do will be supported, protected, and have these ridiculous charges eliminated. And I really thank you in advance for considering this because this one's really near and dear to my own heart. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, this is ongoing kind of, you know, people who are trying to protect people and um, the police and the state who are trying to criminalize that. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up. And we will be linking to the GoFundMe um, on our Twitter and on our uh, the show page. Well, Desmond, how are you feeling about Christmas? Um, I really hope to eat too much food uh, drink too much wine and um, just have a kind of relaxing few days in order to recharge for the new year that is coming. And it's been one of the strangest years, maybe the strangest year, probably not maybe, this is unquestionably the strangest year I have ever lived in, uh, maybe with the exception of 2020. And um, we all hoped that we were going to be out of the COVID-19 woods by now, and we aren't, not by a long shot. And so things have been really tough. And I know that for some of our listeners, things might continue to be really tough out there right now. So um, we want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and to say that we hope that you also get an opportunity, whether that be with family, friends, loved ones, or even on your own, to have a little bit of a rest and a little bit of reprieve as we go into a new year. Um, I'm just grateful that I'm gonna be able to spend that time with family and I'm looking forward to get ri getting rid of 2021, Shama. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to meeting my niece for the very first time. She's two years old, and I've never met her. Um, and so, you know, I'm really looking forward to having some time with her and, of course, with my sister and her husband and my parents. And, uh, you know, I have a new kitten, baby Quark. So, you know, it'll be really small. Oftentimes we have, like, lots of people over to the house on Christmas Eve. We're not doing that this year. Um, I know that probably a lot of our listeners are going to feel isolated and maybe even lonely during during the holidays. And I hope that you can find connection in whatever form is safe for you and some rest and some joy and just, um, you know, some time to pause because it has been a really uh, intense year. And so hopefully just, you know, so a bit of rest before we charge into the to the new year. And I wish you all, yeah, laughter, laughter and music. Most definitely. We're going to try and sneak in one more episode before the new year gets here. So stick around for that. And otherwise, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we will talk to you guys very soon. Yeah, take care.